Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. This beautiful land that must tolerate so much from us. Like over in Utah, where all the small town streets are named according to the idea that nobody is ever going to leave their little town and maybe go over to the next one. Where the exact same baffling street names are used, as well as in the next town and the next town. But in every direction, the streets have the same names, too. So you'll have North 100, South 100, East 100, West 100. So you drive in these square circles on various streets of the same name, which is 100. Not even Google Maps can make any sense of this. Which is why when headed to a party a couple weeks back in Moab, I was originally directed by my worthless robot assistant to a corporate hotel event center instead of the outdoor space full of old hippies whooping it up and their nervous dogs underfoot. Most towns use a series of numbers and letters and maybe the names of U.S. states or dead presidents to give a sense of geographic place to the grid of streets where most people tend to live and work. Or in Palm Springs, for example, it's all dead entertainers. Gene Autry, Frank Sinatra... And one dead president who retired there after his two years of appointed service, Gerald Ford, the only U.S. president to demand a UFO task force in Congress. Ford was House Minority Leader back then when his office put out this press release on March 25, 1966. During the largest wave of UFO sightings in American history. Washington. House Minority Leader Gerald R. Ford, R. Michigan, today proposed that Congress investigate the rash of reported sightings of unidentified flying objects in southern Michigan and other parts of the country. Now that's a... Classic House District politician there. Describing the whole of the United States as southern Michigan and other parts of the country. Three days later, there was another press release. Quote, Ford is not satisfied with the Air Force explanation of the recent sightings in Michigan and describes the swamp gas version given by astrophysicist J. Allen Hynek as flippant. And this statement was attached to a letter from Ford stating that, quote, 
A UPI story out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, dated March 21, 1966, states that at least 40 persons, including 12 policemen, said today that they saw a strange flying object land in a swamp near here Sunday night, guarded by four sister ships. Quoting from the UPI story, Matt Sorrell of station WJR Detroit cites an eyewitness account of a recent UFO sighting by Emile Grenier of Ann Arbor, an aeronautical engineer employed by Ford Motor Company. He points out that an aeronautical engineer can hardly be considered an untrustworthy witness. John Fogarty wrote a Credence Clearwater Revival song about these Midwestern UFO freakouts in the late 1960s. Let's see if I have the lyrics here to quote. Well, a crowd gathered round and a scientist said it was swamp gas. Spiro came and made a speech about raising the Mars tax. The Vatican said, whoa, the Lord has come. Hollywood rushed out an epic film. And Ronnie the Popular said it was a communist plot. California Governor Ronald Reagan referenced in that last line, and Spiro was Spiro Agnew, who was vice president in 1969 when Credence recorded this song. Agnew had to resign because of various crimes and to take the heat off Richard Nixon for a while. But not long enough, because that same Gerald Ford first replaced Spiro Agnew as vice president and then replaced Nixon himself as president. And all the while, the night skies were filled with brilliantly colored outrages, hovering silently at treetop level or chasing highway patrolmen down country back roads. What a time. Ultimately, it wasn't the UFOs or Watergate or even Vietnam that kept Gerald Ford from getting an elected full term as president. It was inflation. Even though he had these little lapel pins printed up that said W-I-N whip inflation now. It just wasn't enough. You're listening to Desert Oracle Radio. Soundscapes by Red, Blue, Black, Silver. I love a desert highway that's so smooth and straight and lonesome that you can take the lid off your coffee and never spill a drop. Just sip it leisurely, listening to Philip Glass, Piano Concerto Number 3 on the Satellite Symphony Radio, coming out of Tonopah, knowing right where you're going to get lunch in Beatty.
snow on the mountains to the west, the great sagebrush valleys to the east. 55 degrees Fahrenheit on an early April morning. A land so large, so sparsely populated, that it just restores your whole faith in the world. And then you see the first solitary Joshua tree standing out there with its twin arms reaching out like a dowsing rod. Where two deserts meet, the Great Basin and the Great Mojave Wilderness, the middle of Nevada, home of my heart. I pick up an interesting station on the FM band, weird old radio dramas, and then Appalachian music, a family group playing for a live audience somewhere, not around here, but that's the magic of radio. It's broadcasting from around here. The station identification comes around top of the hour, and it's Radio Goldfield coming out of the next town on Highway 95. I look for the station studios and find them right there in the middle of the old mining town next to the opera house and the railroad museum. There's somebody in the studio looking out the window that's looking out on US-95 making his 25 miles per hour cut through town. But the DJ is not moving. Because she's not alive. of sunburnt sand and sagebrush sweltering in a hundred thousand square miles of challenge. This the state of Nevada. Sixth largest in the Union. 48th in population. The few people in Nevada are creating in our United States a new frontier of opportunity. Nevada today is a place of up-to-date cities offering the most modern improvements. The beginnings of industry, large-scale mechanized mining, a profitable agricultural enterprise, ingenious irrigation system, fine educational activity, and a hard-working progressive population, all challenging the future. Shaped like a native Paiute Indian tomahawk, Nevada is bounded by Oregon and Idaho to the north, Utah and Arizona to the west, and California to the east, with its Sierra Nevada range intercepting the rain winds from the Pacific and producing a most unusual climate for the sagebrush state. 320 days of dry, bright sunshine. Only 10 inches of rainfall. Yet here in the state of least water is successful agriculture. Nevada has the smallest number of farm and ranch operators in the nation, with only 6% of the land area under active cultivation. From sagebrush and sand, acres of oases. Ask a Nevada farmer how it's done, and he'll point to the nearest mountain slope. The Nevada water trick is worked with snow. 
Early each spring, the snow crop is tested for depth, water content, and probable runoff, channeled into reclamation projects for future harvest from melting snow flows into rivers, which are the most challenging on Earth, decreasing in flow when their water is most desperately needed. Many, with no outlet to the ocean, seep away, sink into the bottomless sand, and disappear in Arizona, the land of sunshine and blue skies. Arizona in area is the fifth largest state in the Union, a sunlit expanse of cactus-covered desert and mesa, of mountain, plateau, valley, and canyon. In population, the state is one of the smallest, with only three-quarters of a million people scattered over the endless miles. Arizona is the youngest state in the Union, the state of tomorrow, the second fastest growing of all these United States. She wears her adjectives well. Land of time enough and room enough. Land of big distances. The lonely land. Land of flaming rain. The cup of flaming land. Land of flaming sunsets. Land of contrasts. The Arizona story is the story of Nevada. Cursed as a nuisance by these early gold diggers. And room enough. Land of blue sky, the lonely land, the colorful land. A land as young as tomorrow, the lonely land. A land as old as time. Boom, went Nevada. Railroad tracks laid, trains rolled to take out the treasure. Here, time seems to stand still. The ancients tried to irrigate by the use of crude canals, but were unable to build proper dams and their efforts failed. Arizona is proud of the four C's of her economy. Citrus, Citrus cotton, cotton, cattle, California, copper, cassegrande, and carrots. And here the first printing press was set up in grave markers remind us of younger and more exciting days. The graveyards of Nevada are full of men from all over the world who made rich strikes of ore in the turbulent past. In violence and in chance, the treasures of Nevada were tapped by adventurers who accepted all challenges. That's why 14 of Nevada's 17 counties make a large part of their income from poultry, a land as old as time. who disappeared overnight just outside Joshua Tree National Park a couple of weeks back. There just happened to be surveillance camera images of these people from the last place that they stopped. And I don't remember 
remember signing off on being part of a vast police state database simply because I ran into the mini market to get a cup of coffee. If I vanish in the wilderness, maybe that was the point. turning off the 15 at Cedar City, I remembered something. Something strange about a guy driving through the same spot on the last day of February, 1959. He was an army private named Jerry Irwin. And he was driving back from Idaho where he'd been enjoying a few weeks leave from his duties at Fort Bliss down by El Paso. It was a dark night sky like you'd expect in southern Utah. And Private Irwin saw something so bright pass overhead that the whole landscape was fully illuminated. Whatever it was disappeared over a ridge maybe the rim of Cedar Breaks National Monument. As Private Irwin was on Utah 14, six miles out of Cedar City, traveling southeast, he pulled off the road and started walking, somehow convinced it was a plane crash and that the passengers would need his help, if anyone survived. But before he wandered off into the night, he left a note on the dash gone to investigate possible plane crash. Please call law enforcement officers. And then to make sure somebody would stop, Irwin wrote stop and shoe polish on the side of the car in big letters. Sure enough, a half hour or so later, a fish and game officer saw the car and read the note. He raced down to Cedar City and got the sheriff, who sent a whole posse of people to search the area for a plane crash. Instead, they found Jerry Irwin, unconscious on the ground. They could not wake him up. So they got him to the hospital, where nobody else could revive him either. Well, he was alive and uninjured, as far as anyone could tell. But he was asleep. When he finally came around, Private Irwin wanted to know what happened to the passengers. And where was his jacket? Wasn't it hanging off a bush where he left it at the site of the plane crash? The nurses and the doctors assured him there was no plane crash no jacket. Sent back to Fort Bliss, Irwin spent a few days at the base hospital, but the doctors there could find nothing wrong with him either. So he was cleared to return to duty. Still, he could remember no details from the time he got out of his car to the time he woke up in the hospital. No details beyond his missing jacket. 
and that supposed plane crash that lured him into the night. Then the fainting spells began. He fainted on base, fell into a deep sleep, but then he came out of it. A few days later, he passed out on the streets of El Paso. When he came out of it this time, it was as if the previous couple of weeks had never happened. Again, he wanted to know about the plane crash and his jacket. And this time he was put under the care of the psychiatrist. They watched him for weeks. But once again, everything seemed fine. The fainting spells had ended. And once again, Private Jerry Irwin returned to duty. He lasted just one day before going AWOL and turning up in Cedar City again on April 19, where he got off the bus and walked up the road six miles to where he'd first seen the strange vision and the darkened sky. He walked right out to where he was found the first time, and there was his jacket hanging on a bush. Stuck in the jacket's buttonholes was a pencil with a note wrapped tightly around it. Instead of reading it, Private Irwin had an unstoppable urge to burn the note, which he did right there. At this point, he came out of his trance and walked down to Cedar City where he turned himself into the sheriff, the same sheriff who'd found him the first time. And who, having been there the first time around, explained to the baffled army private how this had all begun six weeks earlier. That summer, Irwin vanished again. For good this time, as the UFO legends have it. What became of Private Bernard G. Irwin? A researcher named David Boer decided to find out and found Irwin alive and living in his native Idaho in the year 2013. As for his experiences, Irwin still had no real recollection of what happened. But incidents of high strangeness had been part of his life since... He was three years old. If his rambling recollections under an army psychiatrist's truth serum injection can be believed. What happened to this army private driving southeast from Cedar City back in the year 1959? Why did this Nike missile technician have such a singular encounter and did his job have anything to do with it? 
David Boer, who put his new research into the book No Return, the Jerry Irwin story, brings all kinds of strange leads into the tale. Was the shadowy mind control operation MK Ultra involved? Unknown, although American researchers into the unexplained have often grabbed for sinister government connections. After all, this is America. How would Jerry Irwin respond had his experience occurred a couple thousand years ago? Say back in the days of the Trojan War, when the supernatural was natural, and omens lighted your way through a strange world. Isaacs and across the great Mojave wilderness, this is Desert Oracle Radio, and I am your host, Ken Lane. We broadcast on Friday nights at 10 p.m. from our home base at KCDZ 107.7 FM in Joshua Tree in the High Desert various other times across the Southwest and beyond on good community radio stations including Fresno's KFCF 88.1 FM and Valley 103.9 up in King County, Washington and our friends at KZMU FM in Moab and the Castle Valley Mystery years are the ones that just flew by while we did what exactly? That is a special kind of loss of the self. When years go by and you barely even notice. Because time quit working for you. There was a breakdown in the subjective personal narrative timeline. And then one day you snap out of it, hopefully. And then stare at the mirror for a long time. Is that you? Time goes on without you. Guess what's coming up in just seven and a half short years? 2030, that's what. The 2030s. And most of us are pretty unclear on whether or not the 2020s is something that already began. Just something to remember. Thanks for listening to the program. And good.
good night from the voice of the desert.